Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Jenna Clark, and I serve as a shepherding deacon in our congregation. This is the day the Lord hath made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Mighty One, we rejoice that you strengthen our weak hands and make firm our feeble knees. You open our eyes and unstop our ears. You meet our hungers with good things. You disturb our false pride while helping us discover our true strength. You topple us from our pretensions while lifting up the lowly to claim the inner power you alone can provide. We have assembled to worship you. Awaken the gladness that comes when we recognize your presence. We long to know you in this hour. Amen. Now, as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Advent, we will light the candle that represents joy. Listen now to the words of great joy from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. We light this candle today in preparation for the coming of Christ.
we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So let us together turn to our merciful God and confess our sins. Come into our emptiness, gracious God. We feel empty because we have shut you out of our lives. Break through our pretensions, Holy One. We pretend to be powerful because we have not claimed the peace that is available deep within when you dwell with us. Quiet our grumbling and complaining. We are impatient because we have focused on things, not on you. Enter our lives with the forgiveness you have promised to all who are truly sorry for their unfaithfulness. Release us from our self-created prisons. In Jesus' name, amen. God is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and trust in his Son as Savior and Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. across the globe and down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let's take a moment to greet our neighbors that are sitting next to us.
Always got to get in the last note. That's what it's. <laughs> Good morning. Good Welcome to this, the third Sunday of Advent. We are thankful that you're here this morning and hope that you will find this to be a good stop along the way on your way to the Bethlehem manger as we seek to worship and celebrate the newborn king only two weeks away. And uh, that reminds me to tell you that two weeks from today, Christmas Day is a Sunday. I bet you all figured that out by now. And uh, we will be worshiping on Sunday, Christmas Day. We'll be here in the sanctuary at 10 o'clock. We'll see, someone's already concerned about it. So, uh, <laughs> 10 o'clock uh, instead of 9 o'clock, the whole campus will be here in the sanctuary and uh, we'll be having a very informal service. Come dressed as you are, PJs, whatever the case may be. <laughs> but uh, it will be very, very, very nice. So we hope that you'll join us uh, for that. Speaking of Christmas, this place was filled with thousands of angels and shepherds yesterday. Thousands is probably overstating the case, but uh, we had our Christmas pageant and it was a delightful experience uh, to see all of our families here and, uh, and parents as well as other adults and others that came. We're just, uh, we're so delighted to bring that story together in a very you know, quaint and charming way. So thankful for all those who made that happen. We hope you'll put that on your calendar for next year. Another uh, Christmas announcement on your way out the door. Hopefully there will be uh, Christmas cards for you to take. And these cards will be for you to hand to a neighbor or to a friend, to somebody who might want to know about our Christmas services, which uh, begin with the longest night service early in the week where we'll be gathering up those folks who, for whom Christmas is a difficult time and then moving toward our Christmas beach service over on Siesta Key. It's a increasingly becoming a popular uh, worship time. So, and then also, of course, all of our Christmas Eve services, 5, 7, 9, 11, and our Christmas Day service. But somebody might be wondering, you know, where can I go to worship on Christmas or during the Christmas week? Perfect way for you to hand something to them and invite them to come to Church of Palm. So grab two, three of those on your way out the door. Set for yourself a high challenge to extend those to your neighbors so that those folks uh, may know that they are welcomed here at Church of the Palms. Inside your bulletin, you will see a, an insert and you will find there some events that are taking place beginning in January. First of all, a description about the time change that we're having in our worship schedule, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. Our garden folks have been gracious enough to make that move from nine until 10 so that we can uh, be able to uh, have the opportunity to bring our whole campus together under one voice and one opportunity for us to worship in different uh, capacities. So we hope that you will uh, keep that in mind. And on the other side is the announcement for our groundbreaking, which takes place uh, almost uh, more than a month away, but just a little bit more than a month away. We'll be out in the back 40 there. All of our uh, nine o'clock worshipers will get up at around 9.45. We'll make our way over there and we will have a groundbreaking for the new Palm Center. And uh, we look forward to having you become and be a part of that. So put that on your calendar as well. There's opportunities for you to see what the progress is in our annual giving uh, in your bulletin. So pay attention to that as well as to some information that uh, highlights how you can give uh, toward the end of the year and how that might be helpful for you. So we hope that you'll pay attention to that. One worship note, the first Noel, which we will be singing as our last hymn, has about 75 verses, and we think that maybe we'll do four. So the first four verses of the first Noel, we would be glad to 
have you sing. And Carolyn Wilson has an announcement about Christmas. Eve, we have the joy and privilege of welcoming many, many people that don't usually worship with us. And as you know, our parking lot can get pretty busy on a busy Sunday, let alone on Christmas Eve. And so every year we have a parking ministry. And if you would be interested in serving with our parking ministry, that would be really wonderful. You don't have to have any experience. We'll show you exactly what to do. The opportunities to serve are from 4.15 till 5.15, then from 6 until 7.10, and from seven until um, eight, or from eight until nine ten, so that we can help people arrive and leave safely. So, and if you're lucky, we'll have one of these. If you sign up fast, we'll have one of these great hats that you can wear. I know you're all dying to do that. So, if you're interested in participating in this ministry, please either call or email me or the front office. Thanks. Thank you, Carolyn. Yes, you always have wanted to wear a hat like that. <laughs> We'd like to call forward Judy Armitage. Where is Judy? I hope she's oh, sitting in your same seat all the time you sit back there. Come on forward. Judy Armitage is the director of our Back to Basics Tutoring Ministry. Many of you know that Judy is retiring and in fact had her last tutoring session this past Thursday and we had the chance to put together a big potluck and all the tutors were there and many of the children were there to uh, celebrate her and to bid her farewell. Um, Judy has been in our ministry for almost six years and she stepped in at a crucial time in our church's life and in the life of that ministry and really helped us to continue to move forward and uh, she has blessed both adults and children alike and given them the ability to connect with each other and for our tutors to be able to share what they have to share and for those children to know and to understand that God's love is real, it's in flesh, it's in God's people who take the time and the effort to sit down with a child for an hour and share a little bit of what they know. It's a beautiful thing. And our dear sister has made that possible. And uh, we've been celebrating here all week and will continue to <laughs> at her insistence. No, uh, but uh, Judy, we want to present this to you and to say thank you for your ministry in our midst over these last six years or so. Would you give her a big round of applause? <laughs> Not too many words, but it has been my pleasure. <laughs> Let us continue our worship.
Let us join our hearts together as we pray. Lord God, on the third Sunday of Advent, we remember your servant crying out to us in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. We thank you for all who helped prepare the way for the birth of your son and for all who in love and service and suffering have walked his way ever since. We want to walk like that. We hear again the call to repentance and the promise of forgiveness, and now enable us to walk the way you call us. Especially as we move into the holidays, keep us from forgetting the real reason we have celebrations. Keep us from getting caught up in the events rather than the gift. Spare us from the bondage to our calendars and the drive to get everything done. Remind us again of what this season is truly about. Love, peace, joy. Help us, help us to remember that it is in loving relationship that ga you gave us your son. And it is in loving relationship that we carry your word into the hearts of others. No tinsel, ribbons, tapes, cards convey the eternal message adequately. You have given us the light to shine in our path. So we pray that you'll shine in the hearts of all of us today. Your world stands in need of you. Everywhere we look, we see the need for you, for your coming, your restoration, your peace, your transformation. Somehow that the nations know your truth and your light. May we also remember during this season the poor, the hungry, and the needy, those who are physically or spiritually hungry, who need the love of Christ conveyed through us, your servants. We pray for those in our congregation who are sick and those who face Christmas alone this year. Bless these dear ones with your healing and your comforting presence and love. Give strength to all who face difficult situations and let your compassionate light shine on them, guiding their decisions and their steps. We know from your word that you keep track of every sparrow. You care about the details of our lives, so we ask that your spirit of healing and power will be made manifest in each of the situations of our lives. Be with those in the service of our country who must be away from us this Christmas and guide our leaders, current and upcoming, into your will and not only their agenda. Lord God, the hour of your Son's coming draws near. Make us ready in our hearts and in our minds and in our souls. Bring us to your presence where the light of hope and love continually pours out on us. These prayers and hopes we offer in confidence and gratitude for your love and presence as we pray the words that our Lord taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
This is the uh, season to give, and we trust that uh, we'll all share together generously as the ushers come to lead us in the presentation of our tithes and offerings. God of abundance, you've given us far more than we would ever deserve. In the midst of this season of gift giving, help us to remember the true gift 
that was given to us in sacrificial love and help us to give generously. And we thank you for that opportunity in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And we have, uh, we have some interesting people coming, Carol. <laughs> the shepherds and angels have arrived. <laughs> Go ahead, have us stand up. We're going to stand up. You guys can stand up too. Face, the, face this way. Come on in, Allie. Come on. So we're going to stand up, Zane. You stand right behind next to Amy. Okay, so this is the third. Yes, perfect. Beautiful. Isn't that great? This is the third. Yes. This is the third week in Advent, and we are celebrating joy, the same joy that those angels came to the shepherds to share that, that Jesus was born in the manger. And remember what the angels said? They brought good news of great joy to all people. So yesterday, these angels and shepherds shared their great joy with our people at the Christmas pageant. And so the angels and shepherds are going to pro proclaim their joy as we sing us, um, this Advent. And please, you're welcome to share in the joy by singing along. Okay, Amy. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, good will toward men. born, your very one and only son, Jesus, to be born in the manger. This Christmas season, help us to share that love with others. We love you. Amen.
Well, again, we are listening to the voices of the prophets, those who spoke to Israel long ago with great hope and anticipation for what the Messiah may do and who the Messiah may be. Today, we find ourselves in the oft-quoted prophet Isaiah and in a chapter that is not often quoted, um, the 61st chapter, a part of which Jesus took for his inaugural sermon that we read in Luke chapter four. So here the word of God that comes to us first from Isaiah and then later in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Hear the word of God. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities and devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines, but you shall be called priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of our God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations and in their riches you shall glory. And because their shame was double and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots in a garden causes what is sown in it to spring up. So the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. And these words from the book of Revelation, the seventh chapter, beginning at the ninth verse, where the prophet looks and sees a vision of the heavenly city, the heavenly community, and says, after this I looked and there was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all the tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb, robed, in white with palm branches in their hands. They cried out in a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who is seated at the throne and to the lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. Then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these robed in white? 
where have they come from? And I said to him, sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And for this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. And the sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace, by your yearning to make us whole, by your hope for your children, we pray that you will allow these words to be words of good news. Good news to all. In the name of the one who brings us this good news, the word made flesh, Jesus the Christ, we pray, amen. If an alien from outer space should happen to descend upon our planet in a couple of weeks and make its way to the windows of our family and living rooms and watch what we do around our Christmas thing, Christmas trees, one of the things that the alien might surmise is that Christmas Day is when certain people of a Christian persuasion take the time to re-clothe each other. <laughs> For it is on Christmas Day that this alien would see that we hand to each other boxes most of which contain articles of clothing that we hope and expect others to wear. We exchange these boxes, we tear their wrapping, we open the lids, and we usually offer one of two responses, either ooh or ooh. <laughs> Despite the responses, these responses, the alien would likely deduce that these, Chris, these Christians are very concerned about dressing each other. Of course, the alien might also grow a little confused if he followed us the next several days and watched as we took these clothes we received back to the places where our friends and family got them in order to pick out something else or to get our money back or to get store credit. If the alien watches, the whole exercise might be from beginning to end a little perplexing. Let's see, he says to himself, these Christians around November and December, they go to stores to get clothing, to reclothe their friends and family. They give it to their friends and family who try it on and wear it for about three minutes, and then they put it back in the box, and the next day when nobody's looking, they take it back to the place from which it came. Very strange ritual indeed. Of course, it doesn't always happen that way. Some of us get lucky and either give or receive the right article of clothing, the right color, the right style, the right size. Maybe something you're wearing today, especially if it's Christmassy, is something you got for Christmas years ago, thus my tie. <laughs> it does go to show that clothing is important to us. It has been that way, the Bible suggests, since the story of Adam and Eve. At the outset, 
upon God's creation. Clothes weren't very important, not much thought given to the issues of apparel. But as the story goes, having eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve begin worrying about clothing. They feel the need to, to hide themselves. Fig leaves by Lucifer, the devil wears Prada. It was our first fashion statement and a very poor one, for it was born, our first set of clothes were born out of shame and fear. And clothing has been a big thing ever since. It becomes now for us a statement that says who we are. It's a way to sort of project success. Clothes define the person, our friends on Madison Avenue might say. And so we walk through the mall and there we have it, store after store after store after store of clothes, more apparel than we could ever want or need. We buy it, we wear it, we hold on to it for an average of a short time. And usually then we grow tired of it and it goes out of style and that's why we have Goodwill stores on every block in Sarasota. <laughs> Truth is, if there's anything that clothes do is that they make us pretty self-conscious. They call not just other people's attention to us, but they call our own attention to us. If you don't think clothes make you self-conscious, just try going to a party underdressed or drop a big glob of ketchup on your white shirt or blouse or put on two different color socks by mistake. And now all of a sudden your clothes have become a burden. They are an indication of your inadequacy Interesting, isn't it, that we hear so little about Jesus' clothing and his scores and scores of appearances in the Gospels. No one takes time to mention what Jesus was wearing. No comments on what color or style Jesus chose. No fashion labels mentioned. Maybe he bought off the Goodwill rack. Think about it. The only significant mention of Jesus' clothing were the swaddling cloths with which his mother Mary wrapped him, the hem of his robe, which the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years touched and was healed, the dazzling white robe of transfigured the purple robe by which he was mocked by the Roman guards, the tunic that they stripped from his body when he was on the cross and gambled for, the linen wrappings, dare we call them, the swaddling claws he left behind upon his resurrection. Someday I'm going to preach a sermon on Jesus' wardrobe, but not today. Now, if there is any wardrobe moment in the biblical story with which we are to be concerned, it appears to be the wardrobe with which we are fitted at the end of it all. It seems, as we read in Revelation, that in heaven there is a dress code, there is an expectation of what you're going to wear. And there really isn't much choice in the matter. In heaven, we're all dressed alike. Because in heaven, it is by virtue of God's grace that we are outfitted. In heaven, one clothes designer and it's God. One clothes design in heaven and it's grace. John looks upon the heavenly community and wonders why they're all robed in white. And the elder replies, well, they've all washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. You see, at the end of it all, there really is only one outfit 
over which to be concerned and it's the outfit of grace. It is being clothed in the forgiveness of God. It is being dressed in the love of Christ. Something maybe to think about in this Advent season, being clothed in the forgiveness of God, being, being dressed in the love of Christ. Because that's where the story is headed, you know, the story that begins with the shame of Eden, the fig leaves of fear, the story that starts again with those swaddling claws with which a peasant girl wraps her newborn, that story that continues with those linen wrappings left behind in the tomb, the story that ends with you and I being clothed in white, swaddled in grace, rid of those shameful fig leaves. This is where the story is going, from the fig leaves of fear to robes washed white. Isaiah writes, he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. What better time to wonder about that than in this season of the coming of the Lord, this season of waiting and preparation? Does he come with a new Christmas outfit? Can you imagine that about yourself? Can you imagine that you are right now being clothed in the garments of salvation, being covered with the robe of righteousness? And if Madison Avenue is right, well then the clothes define the person. It's where the story is headed, we, you know, whether you like it or not, the good Lord is trying even now to put onto you the garment of salvation, the, the robe of righteousness, because the clothes, he knows, defines the person. I remember when my parents took me to buy, buy me my first suit to Sears and Roebuck, we went, that great center of fashion. And off the rack it came and it fit, you know, kind of close enough. And when you're a 12 year old boy, nothing much changes about you when they put that suit on you. You still run around and play with your friends and use the sleeve to wipe your nose. But the longer you wear that suit, and the suit that comes after it, and the suit that comes after it, the more you learn that that suit is something that calls out of you something. It calls you to be a different person. You, you live into your garment. You become what you wear. Remember Max Beerbohm's little tale called The Happy Hypocrite, the story of the scoundrel who fell hopelessly in love with the fair maiden, but because of his poor reputation, he knows that she would have nothing to do with him, so he goes out and he has made for himself a mask, the mask of a fine gentleman of the highest character. We, would we call it the mask of a saint? And sure enough, it works. The young maiden falls in love with him, but now it means he has to live into the mask to live like a gentleman, dare even a saint, until finally the fateful day comes when someone suspects the mask and wonders about the mask and says he's wearing a mask and they reach and they pull it off only to find the face of a saint. He had become what he was wearing. He had grown into his garment. 
He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. Did you notice the tense the prophet uses? He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. This is no wardrobe that we have to wait for in the future. This is no outfit that requires a down payment. It's already happened. You are decked out. It's what we say time and time again over there at that baptismal font that you are swaddled in the garments of salvation. You are decked out. No matter what is inside your soul, no matter what glob of junk you might spill on yourself in the future, no matter what sin or brokenness that you might feel is clinging on to you, no matter how self-conscious you might feel in front of the world, right from the very beginning in our baptism, we say, you're decked out. You are decked out in the grace of God and the love of Christ and the great joy of life is living into your outfit. Was it Thomas Merton that said, what we have to be is what we already are. It makes me think of Donald Driver. Donald Driver grew up in Houston and from an early age was a whole lot of trouble. In seventh grade, he learned from his brother the art of stealing cars. At age 12, my parents were fitting me for a suit. At age 12, Donald Driver's brothers were teaching him how to steal cars. Donald Driver would steal car after car, night after night. He did it to get money for his family who were living in the trailer of a U-Haul and also to support his drug habit. Donald Driver was sewing on the leaves of figs. But then came the fateful night. He had just started up another one of his stolen cars and began barreling down the road when he heard sirens and in his haste he stepped on it and didn't notice the old woman who was backing her car out of the driveway. T-boned her going very, very fast. He jumped out of his demolished car and began sprinting but something told him to go back and check on the old woman and when he did, he found that she was all right, but by that time, the police were just about upon them. He looked at the woman, he looked at the approaching cars, and that's when he, hear, he heard the old woman say, you go sit on my porch. <laughs> and he did. And when the police came, they asked, who's that on your porch? And the old woman said, that's my grandson. When the police had gone, the old woman walked up to the porch, told driver to get into the house, and that's when she tore, up, tore him up one side and down the other and told him that this was his chance to become who he was. He was a child of God, and it was time he started acting like one. Did that turn his life around? Not right away. A few more cars disappeared, a few more drugs purchased. But that one gesture of grace of love, of caring, reminding him of his clothing, took hold until he realized that maybe the old woman was right, maybe there was more, life to, more to his life than crime, maybe he was decked out. Maybe he was clothed in the garments of salvation. The rest, they say, is history. Donald Driver turned into the star receiver for the Green Bay Packers, all pro wide receiver. He stole footballs out of midair. 
The amazing thing is that he wasn't just a star receiver. It turns out he holds the record for the Green Bay Packers for the most community service appearances. He holds the record for the Green Bay Packers for most honorarium dollars that go into the Donald Driver Foundation that is used to help people in need. He turns, it turns out, he spends a lot of time at Goodwill helping them put new outfits on people. And you know what else he, what else he does? He keeps making trips back to Houston. And he goes to visit the woman he calls Grandma Johnson, the woman who fitted him for his suit, who gave him a new mask to wear. And who are these, robed in white? Where have they come from? Ah, these are they who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Good to know where the story begins. Good to know where the story is headed. And in between, all decked out. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen.